Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, happy, I guess, well, it's lacrosse season officially now. Uh, it's off season for the major sports. Uh, it's chainsaw season for John. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, happy, happy. We're, we're getting into the spring football this weekend. There's a lot of happies. There are. Now that we've taken a week to digest uh, the end of the Syracuse basketball season. Um, yeah, a lot to, lot to be excited about going forward. Yeah, we're. Uh, I'm. I'm just gonna create a mixtape like today. It's gonna be chainsaw season, but spelled like C H N S W S Z N, and it's just gonna be an hour of the chainsaw I've had to listen to all day. <laughs> yes, we, we we tried to start recording this about ten minutes ago, and then a chainsaw started. So um, we care about you all enough that we didn't just start. Also, like three hosts podcasting get kind of messy sometimes. And the uh, the chainsaw really wasn't like stopping to let me like jump in. Yeah, it's it, the chemistry is not there. Just, was, you, well, the chainsaw hasn't been co-hosting like with John and I for the last like four years. Four years. We've been doing yeah. this for like six now. Well, I, I don't know how long it's been. <laughs> <laughs> Everything kind of melts together. Do we talk about beer? Do we talk about football? Do we talk about Tulane? Check, check, and check. Yes. In any case, uh, Syracuse football. We'll talk basketball a little bit later on. For those who are waiting with bated breath, you can hang out sometime, probably around like the 40-minute mark, maybe a little bit later. But for right now, we're going to talk Syracuse football spring game or uh, Syracuse football Saturday, as it's being referred to this year. I know it's been the Saturday showcase, the spring scrimmage, the spring game, the probably spring extravaganza at some point. But uh, this time around, it is uh, spring football Saturday. There's a lot going on. Um, it's going to be an offense versus defense scrimmage, but we're not really going to see a ton in terms of formations. I think really a, a lot of fans, and I know Dan, you're probably in this too, uh, a lot of people are just kind of excited to see you know some of the younger guys out there and just see Tommy DeVito uh, kind of get to work with the first team a little bit. Yeah, mostly just want to see DeVito sling the rock around, see some of the uh, guys who we got like just bits and pieces of last year, see some of the early enrollees, um, yeah, you can't lean too much. Like, it's nice to have football back uh, for a brief moment, and it's cool to see, like, you know, the new guys in their jerseys and, and see the guys running around. But you're not going to ever know, you know, you can't base, like, what the season's going to be like on, on the spring game. I couldn't tell you in, with any confidence which spring games were good ahead of which seasons. Like, it's just none of it lines up. It's basically, like, did they have a good day of practice or not, which teams do have good and bad days probably every week every year but it's still it's a cool opportunity it sounds like the the athletic department has done more this year i think to try to get people excited i know they've been boosting their pretty impressive season ticket total numbers and i know they always have the season ticket event for hopefully they they goose those a little bit more it sounds like we're we're in line for a pretty good attendance year which you'd expect after a 10-month season and a ranked season so yeah hopefully it's fun for you know everyone and it's free and hopefully people in the syracuse area get out yeah, I totally agree. Um, there's a lot of Syracuse legends that'll be on campus, which is great. Um, the what, the 1966 backfield? Yeah, the 96 backfield. There's a few other folks that'll be around. They'll be signing autographs. Um, kids get to do a little bit of uh, workshopping or something like that, it seems, on the field at some point. Um, I was looking up the score for last year's spring game, and I cannot find it. Two years ago, uh, it was probably a harbinger of things to come when uh, when I think the orange team beat the white team 14-0, which, uh, which actually scared the hell out of me. Um, not because I, I try to put any stock into these things at all, but more because of the fact that uh, 
a, a Dino Babers team, one side of the ball anyway, only scored well, scored zero points, and the other side only scored 14. If I can find last year's recap at some point, I'll mention it. Um, I don't really think it was that high scoring either, though, if I can recall. I, I remember the big moment being uh, Rex Culpepper throwing that late touchdown pass. So I want to say the score was, awesome. yeah, which was great. But I want to say that the score was certainly higher than the 14 uh, slug fest that that had me briefly thinking about Scott Schaefer's tenure. Yeah, no, I think last year's, from the vague stuff I remember about it, was like an, a definite uptick from like the last couple. And not like, I don't I won't say like portent, poor, uh, foretold things to come, but I do remember being a little bit more entertained than, uh, than the years previous, which, you know, we had a pretty veteran team, so it makes sense. It looks like, nope, still don't have score. Anyway, we'll move on from that misadventure. Um, Who even knows how it was stored, because it changes like every year, so. Yeah, I, I think this year is probably going to be, you know, a, a bunch of the basics. I, I think we're going to see, I, I think we're going to see a good amount of, of, of passing, uh, probably a lot more than last year, if only because, like, again, I think people want to see DeVito. I think DeVito wants to be a little more accurate than he was last year. I, I think we're going to want to test the deep ball a little bit. But, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. I, I think, you know, we, we've seen some we've seen some players really show up in these spring games and then be non-factors. We've seen some guys be non-factors in the spring game and then really show up. Um, I know two years ago, like, you know, somebody that was high on my radar was, like, Jesse Connors, like, had like a really nice like spring game he had to sit out because of transfer rules um, and he hasn't really been much of a factor since as a walk-on there's been other instances but in any case yeah I, I think this is more just I, I'd like to get some glimpses of some some players and 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 see see what you can measure just from a sense of like you know is this guy playing heads of football is he is he someone who is you know wrapping up well um, is this guy fast I know Nate Mink had that really great article on Syracuse.com today. It said, you know, like proprietary stats from Syracuse uh, that were laser measured. It said 17 players in the roster now um, run a 4-6 or better 40. And when Dino got to campus, there was only four players doing uh, that. So I, I feel like that's a great step in the right direction. I feel like we're going to see a lot of that on the field, both this Saturday and, uh, and, and this fall. Yeah, I definitely think it's an event where you can glean more in terms of physical traits than you can scheme, because uh, these things are all televised in one way or another, and obviously none, no college football coach is going to put like their whole scheme out there. So I think every every team is running a pretty basic walkthrough thing. Uh, thing. So we'll probably see like maybe a trick player too, just to get people excited. We might see Tommy throw some deep balls. I just don't think we're going to be seeing like much of the, the he- scheme. <laughs> yeah, it's more about getting guys in the field and seeing what they can do. Uh, individually than it is like showing like there's no real reason to show off like this major game plan because we don't have an opponent so we'll also wait till august for that but you know i think individually there are some intriguing storylines here obviously tommy's just like the easiest thing in the world to point to the big arm quarterback stepping in as a starter after some real serious flashes last year we'll talk about him probably every week for the next couple of years um so I, that's not a that's not a surprise i'm really intrigued with what we've heard from this running game and i think you alluded to it in a recent article, I think last week at some point, uh, after some of the spring reports. You know, t- I think we all have pretty high expectations for Tommy. Um, it is going to be his first year starting. He's probably going to have one or two games that he is just really bad. But it sounds like we have the running backs uh, stable right now where we can really rely on a couple different guys. Obviously, we have Mo Neal. We have Abdul Adams, who really came on in the bowl game after sitting out for as a transfer. Um, Jawar Jordan sounds like he's really making an impact. We might have like four or five running backs who... It, you know, could play. I don't think we're going to have four or five running backs making a huge impact, just as that's not feasible. But it sounds like we have four or five guys who could be in the like discussion at least, and we have a real, real, uh, you know, trove of riches there. 
Yeah, I mean, this is where the offensive line's health and its uh, abilities, you know, really kind of help us out a ton. I mean, seeing last year what a healthy and, and veteran line did for us, and now this year, maybe not as healthy, at least to start with Sam Heckel out for the rest of spring. I believe Pat Davis is also out for the rest of spring. Uh, but, you know, ha- having a less healthy line, less experienced line this time around, hopefully that doesn't impact the run game too negatively. Um, there's also the, the issue of, you know, Chris Elmore underwent surgery for, for his knee issue that he suffered in spring last week. Really hope that he's ready to go for, um, you know, if not July or so, at least ready for, you know, the first game against Liberty. Uh, because realistically, like, you know, Elmore, while, while we maybe envisioned him as a short yardage back at, at one point, I think where he really, really, um, you know, sets himself apart is just as a blocker. And, and you saw just how much better we ran last year when a lot of the times we had him split off in the backfield. He, he was able to open holes for Eric Dungy, open a lot of holes for both Moniel and, and Dante Strickland last season. This spring, you know, we also don't have Abdul Adams. He'll be missing the rest of spring. But uh, like you mentioned, you have Jor Jordan. I don't know what we'll see from Markenzie Pierre. Um, he's unfortunately become a little bit of a forgotten man, but I hope he works himself back into the rotation. See, I mentioned Jarvian Howard, uh, Moniel, obviously. These are all guys who should, you know, show us something because I'm, I'm really, really just... We already know what we're getting from most of them, but I, I just want to see with this offensive line in front of them what, what they're able to do if we're seeing some of the same holes open, if we're starting to see things break down a little bit uh, without Elmore, without the same you know offensive line construction as last year. I, I, I think we're not going to get too physical in the trenches in this game, especially when we have a pretty good um, defensive line, but it's... It, it should be it should be fun to, to just see the balance again and, and to see kind of who gets carries and and who starts showing showing some flashes of, of, of potential because I know like Jordan uh, while he just got on campus after originally committing back in 2017 I know he just got on campus and had, I know he had three touchdowns in the scrimmage last Saturday um, so I, I think you know you highlighted him too I think he's somebody who who I'd like to see a little bit more of, again, since we know kind of what we're getting out of the other guys a little bit more. Yeah, and I wouldn't forget too much if there's like a disparity on the offensive and defensive lines. A, because defensive line is going to be a likely strength for us this season, which is exciting. And they are, I think, a bit healthier. Um, and and you mentioned the injured guys. We also don't have Ryan Alexander here yet, the South Alabama grad transfer, who is likely going to start at probably right tackle this year, if I guess. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he didn't. The other option is Vettorello, and not that I doubt Vettorello, but if I have an if I have an option to start a grad transfer at tackle or a redshirt freshman, I feel like I'm probably going the grad transfer route. Yeah, and that's one of those spots where obviously you have to learn the offense, and I'm sure it's different than what South Alabama was doing. I know they were very run-oriented. But, like, tackle's one of those spots where in this grad transfer era we've, we've got going that you see uh, guys plug in and play pretty pretty effectively. And he does have I me. Mean, he's a very experienced player. He was a, uh, all Sun – I think they're Sun Belt, right? I was, they are Sun Belt. Yeah, he was an all Sun Belt player. So that'll be exciting. But he's not here till summer. So the offensive line is still kind of a, a little bit of a mash unit. So if they don't look great against what is a very strong defensive line led by Elton Robinson, I'm not going to get too worried yet. But – for the football season in general, I do think the running game is a chance of being a, a real strength, which is exciting because you, that's always helpful when you have a, a young first-year starter quarterback coming around. So, uh, and and last year we saw more of the off the balance on offense, and and I think that will be closer to what we see going forward. Even if Devito does live up with the hype, I think Davis is always going to want to have that run element as a strong part of the offense. 
course. And I guess refocusing a little bit on the other side of the line, uh, we're not just we're not done just yet. You know, you, you mentioned the line's pretty strong. I think Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman are, are going to put on hopefully not too much of a show. Um, I'd very much like to not see the offensive line shredded um, on, on game one. Obviously, the quarterbacks aren't going to get hit. You don't want to have some sort of idiotic injury derail, which should be a really promising season. What I'm really more curious about is what happens in the middle. McKinley Williams comes back um, as a starter, but... Uh, I don't think we've figured out the other tackle spot yet. That could probably be Josh Black or Kenny Ruff. Both of those guys originally started out at different positions. Ruff actually started out as a linebacker. At this point, I think everyone's pretty aware of like how much weight he's been able to put on and, and how much he's you know really worked himself in um, as in the defensive line rotation. Uh, Josh Black started out at defensive end um, opposite Kendall Coleman. Um, early in his career and now he's moved inside so I, I think th- I think the fact that those two guys have experience away from uh, the tackle spot might actually bring something interesting to it um, and, and I am cautiously optimistic that while they're not going to be able to replicate everything Chris Layton did there um, I think they can do a decent amount and I think that the key here is just going to be does McKinley Williams get those double teams springing them? Um, do neither of them get doubled? And then we end up with an extra man able to block uh, the, you know, blitzing edge rushers. I feel like the fact that Slayton was doubled mo- more often than not um, really did allow, um, you know, both defensive ends and, you know, at times Ryan Guthrie from the, li- from the linebacker position um, allowed all of them to really get after the quarterback. So I- I'm curious to see how that looks. Again, acknowledging that, that we're not going to see a ton in terms of scheme, but just curious to see how those guys look on uh, on, on day one with with you know more snaps than we've really seen from both Ruff and Black there. Yeah, I mean, I think the outside pressure is going to really help um, from Robinson and McKinley Williams is a big dude. He's in a he's going to command a decent amount of attention. So I'm not super worried about filling for Slayton. Obviously, it's tough to replace a player of his caliber ever, but that's what you deal with in college. Um, Ruff is super intriguing because he has put on so much size um, and. It was like, you, you know, you very rarely see a, a linebacker do interior lineman move. But there is a, you know, a pretty decent run of, like, these these really effective undersized defensive tackles. Obviously, in college last year, we had Ed Oliver. We had Rash- Rashawn Derry. Not to compare rough to those guys, but, like, you can see in the last couple of years that, like, guys at every level have made it work. And it adds this, like, extra pass rush element if they're fast off the ball. Now, obviously, that you know, brings in questions if, like, they're getting manhandled by big offensive linemen on the inside, but uh, you can't just rule them out because we don't have, like, two 330-pound guys on the interior. And especially with what we're, the pressure we're going to be bringing on the edge with Robinson, it's going to be tough to really deal with that much pass rush uh, on a play-to-play basis. Completely. I'm also just curious to see, like, you know, in general, I mentioned this in some of the previews, like, aside from the spring game, I'm really curious to see, like, with Robinson and Coleman both pushing to actually like get drafted, I mean, I don't think they're going to be viewed at the same as the same kind of type of prospect that maybe like a Chandler Jones was. But I think both have some potential potential as, as NFL players, and, and I think both of them are going to be playing. Like basically, it'll be a contract year for two for the two of them. If if that uh, if that analogy plays. And in football, I don't mind that nearly as much as uh, in basketball. So, <laughs> right, yeah, because in, in basketball, you know, no, we're not going to mention any names, but sometimes you just start jacking up threes that you shouldn't be, and sometimes you just start doing a lot of things that you probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah, and not, not to say there isn't a there isn't a uh, equivalent like on the defensive line if someone is just selling out to yeah. uh, to to rush the passer and is getting 
you know, beat on the outside, if they're playing like an option team or if they're just like losing their assignments, that's not great, but that's also not going to help them get drafted because NFL stats will know what they're looking for versus, you know, in basketball where your, your own numbers are very obvious. So yeah, I'm not super worried about the downside of that. Agreed, agreed. I think the biggest position of intrigue for a lot of uh, folks, and I know us in particular, uh, the linebackers. We don't know how much we're going to be playing 4-2-5 versus a 4-3. Um, they kind of mix and match last year depending on uh, the opponent. This time around, Andrew Armstrong and Lockheed Williams come back as the most experienced, experienced players. Armstrong in particular uh, started most of the games last year and did look strong at times. He had a key interception against NC State to kind of seal the deal in that game. Um, but Tyrell Richard is kind of the, the, the name on everybody's uh, lips at the end of spring here as, you know, he put on a really strong showing, I think, at the end of last season, uh, both on special teams and filling in on defense as an edge rusher. This year, it seems like in the spring, he's, you know, made some big plays and really kind of set himself apart. I know, I believe it was him a couple of years ago that Dino said was like going to be a future NFL player. I mean, some of that's like recruiting speak, obviously, but at the same time, like that for some reason, that comment stuck with me. I think it was either Richards or Trotter, but I think it was Richards. I can't um, remember. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up later. But it was one of them, and if it was Richards, then this this kind of plays out where he's just like an athletic freak and, and somebody who can play multiple positions. I think that he's going to be maybe this year's Andre Sisko in terms of just like name that kind of shows up and, and, and gives us some like really surprisingly like excellent results, um, which would be great because I think the linebacker position of all the positions on this team is probably the one that, that people are most concerned about because it has the least experience coming back. Yeah, I mean, we basically have a hard reset. Obviously, Williams uh, played pretty well at the end of last season, but then we have, I mean, it could, we could have freshmen elsewhere, but uh, Mattel Jones and Lee Padba are two of the uh, the two of the best recruits we have, maybe our two top recruits in the class, and they are both going to be involved, I think. Uh, so they will be ones to watch as well. They're both really athletic. Uh, they're both like borderline four-star guys. Extremely exciting that we're, I mean, it's a, it's nerve-wracking that we have that much, uh, you know, unknown at the one position, but I think our, our prospects there overall are really exciting. Yeah, you know, we had this problem, quote-unquote problem, a couple of years ago with the secondary. Um, I think it works itself out eventually, like when you have too many bodies, and I think like even the secondary this year has too many bodies, so to speak, and like, yeah, the, the, the best rise to the top, the competition drives everybody well, um, and you end up with some really great depth, and when everybody's talented, and in this case it seems that, you know, everybody is, you get um, a, a really... Again, just a really strong group. I, I think we do see Jones and Pogba a little bit this year, maybe a little bit more on special teams than at linebacker. But uh, nonetheless, I, I think we'll see more of them on Saturday and at least get a glimpse of what they can do. I know I mentioned them as kind of two defensive players I'm especially excited to see in action just because they've kind of gotten some rave reviews in uh, in spring practice, um, you know, making some various plays. Uh, but just pivoting to our kind of last, you know, defensive group. Uh, the secondary is pretty set, I think. I think Scoop Bradshaw's healthy at this point. I know he wasn't at the beginning. I haven't seen, like, the recent injury report. But in any case, you know, we'll see a lot of Chris Frederick, a lot of uh, All-American Andre Sisco, obviously, uh, Evan Foster. Uh, I'm really excited to see a little bit more of uh, Ifitu Malafanwu. I know Cam Jonas I mentioned in the defensive preview article on Wednesday. Somebody who redshirted last year who could end up challenging at safety. Uh, definitely somebody who, who could be a fun watch and somebody who could eventually, you know, ascend to that starting spot, even if not this year. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we, we saw such star turns in this position, obviously with Sisto last year, uh, who was an All-American. And then I even Joe Williams, who wasn't quite the same level of player, but like still had a really, really effective true freshman season. And I think will be uh, one of the better corners in the ACC in a couple of years. It's, uh, yeah, it's really exciting, I think. This this is a nice blend of like the youth of our linebackers plus the proven commodities of our def- defensive line. And the fact that we have such established guys at two of those three levels makes it a little easier to uh, digest the fact that we're going to be very green in the middle. Yeah, and I think that this really kind of, you know, sets the stage for, you know, this is kind of the, the depth building stuff that we were talking about around signing day the last couple of years and, and we'll be talking about into this season where... Like, okay, like now you don't just have, you know, four guys, four years of guys cycle out and then you just hit have to hit reset right away. Instead, oh, and there's our guest DJ. You can hear a little bit in the background. Oh, <laughs> it's not that loud, but no, it's, it's, on, well, it's well, there, I hear it. Yeah, before it was literally like right next to my house. Now it seems like it's across the street. But uh, in, in, in any case, you know, appreciate the, uh, the, the input from DJ Chainsaw. Uh, from the Syracuse.com comment section, he uh, he he claims that Jim Beheim needs to play more man to man. Dino's recruiting is not as good as Scott Schaefer's, and Jerry's going to be the head coach and, next season. Yeah, Mark it down. Yeah, and Jerry McNamara's the new head coach of Syracuse basketball. Just, just also <laughs> fired Esto and uh, hired Esto and then fired Esto again. <laughs> in any case, yeah, the the fact that we have you know. New linebackers coming in and some younger players cycling in there. The fact that the we have a pretty veteran uh, defensive line there that's going to start cycling out and by 2021, you know, kind of be hitting reset. And the fact that the secondary, while we're you know going to be saying goodbye to guys like Scoop Bradshaw, I think Foster is a senior or redshirt junior. Obviously, Chris Frederick is a redshirt senior. But knowing that we have guys behind them who've already played and actually played well, I, I think that that's you know a great testament to the depth this team's already been able to build and. And, and, and again, really excited that we have so many guys that could play. I mean, Trell Williams, another name that you mentioned. Like, so many guys that could jump on this field on, on Saturday that, like, we're not even really going to be able to get an extended look at most of them. And that's that's impressive given where this program was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, Dina, it's like Dina's done a pretty nice job. Almost like he's a good coach. Weird. <laughs> Weird how that works. You know what? Before we get to halftime, uh, why don't we just <laughs> say a little word from our sponsor, uh, Syracuse.com Chainsaws. Uh, no. <laughs> no, pause for our actual sponsor, and then we'll get back to it. So we're back. <laughs> Chainsaw is still here, though. Dan, we made an announcement about a Syracuse football happening uh, for scheduling. Added Colgate for the first game in the reopened dome. That was pretty great. I'm excited Hashtag about no that. Hoodoo. Hashtag no hoodoo. If we win this game, we'll finally uh, we'll finally take the lead in the uh, the all time series. We are. are we still? I, I thought we had done that already. But no, we're, we're thirty one. Yeah, we're, we're thirty one, thirty one, and five. <laughs> <laughs> somehow, uh, somehow we 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 were trailing this series despite winning sixteen straight games. This will be seventeen if we win, and we better. And the schedule is almost done, but unfortunately, like we decided to wait too long, and now there's not much left for us. So. Uh, luckily, I'm not the only person on this blog that obsesses over scheduling, and really, Army's the only team we can schedule here, like with any sort of like reasonable, like confidence. I mean, SMU, FIU, Georgia State. I mentioned it in all in the article, and people should go read that. And we'll put a link in the uh, in the post too. But 
we don't really have a ton of options. We might be on the road in week one against Clemson, which I guess I'm fine with because it's pretty much the premier rivalry in the ACC right now. <laughs> Prove me wrong. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure everyone wants to hear that. <laughs> Prove me wrong, though. Like, Clemson like, can't pretend like they don't have a little bit of extra juice for us. I'm not going to say we're their like we're not we're not their main rival. ACC rival is I mean Florida State potentially, but Florida State's going to be garbage again next year. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if Florida State was good all of a sudden. I think I think honestly in 2020, aside from like if South Carolina's good, like there's a there's an argument that like Clemson will want to like make a make a a statement against us more than any other team, especially because really, it's their first game in the dome since they lost. And really, if you're gonna like jump up and get Clemson, like. I feel like game one is kind of when you want to do it. Like, also, is Trevor Lawrence gonna, even going to be there? Yeah, I think he'll have to. Oh, yeah. He's, he still has another year. He was a true freshman yeah, last year. Yeah, he was a true freshman. Unless uh, some rule changes, which Damn we, don't, it. we don't seem to be heading towards, uh, yeah. at least this cl- this quickly. Yeah. But yeah, I'd... Uh, Unless he wants to play in the XFL. <laughs> I'd very much like to see us start off against Clemson. Not because I'm like anxious to play Clemson all the time, just because... It seems like a fun way to start the season. If we're going to lose and still make a near six game, that's kind of when we should lose. Um, and everyone will let us lose to Clemson like, and give us an excuse for that. So I'm fine with it. I think in general our schedule lays out pretty well. We've talked about it a little bit in the past that like 2020 could be a really fun season. And if we if we add like Army or I know I mentioned like Ohio, Western Michigan, again, like FIU or one of those schools, and we could find a way to go four and zero in non-conference play since we already have Rutgers and Liberty and Colgate. Like that'd be awesome if we could find a way to go like at least six and two in conference play, maybe better. And then yeah, we could be looking at an Orange Bowl, which would be awesome. Would be pretty decent. I do worry, and honestly, like if it happens in twenty twenty, there are worse years for it to happen. I do worry we're going to try to schedule up and get a, a prominent fourth non-conference. Um, I don't know who's available. Funny enough, in the article I mentioned, there is no one. Northwestern is the only P5 available. <laughs> oh, I'm shocked we haven't done that yet. Yeah, so it's Northwestern, and if we want to have like a pros ball at Soldier Field that like five people are going to attend, um, <laughs> I I don't think anybody wants that, and and like well, unless they do like some Wrigley Field type BS. But have yeah. they figured out Wrigley? I know they were doing it, and then they weren't doing it. I think they are doing it again. I think they've announced that, but I could be wrong. I don't think you could do it in like for the first week though. No, because because they have to like re they have to like realign the dugouts. I think. Yeah, the, the, there's too much to do there. So like, I, I feel I feel like unfortunately like I mean maybe fortunately I feel like we're gonna end up facing like Army probably and just like basically That's put, fine. I'd yeah, be fine with that. Just extend like the the four game series we already have next decade, and like throw one on here and then like one on the back end. Honestly, like we should be playing Army. Army should be on our schedule entire. And I, I, I know people who don't want to play the triple option. I get that, but Army should be on our schedule a lot more than it's been. I mean, we, I've never seen us play Army, so it's it's uh, not. There's no real excuse that they haven't been on our schedule more, uh, both home and away. So I'd be totally fine with Army. Uh, we already have the Rutgers game, so we have to worry about the accounting towards the thing for uh, whatever the the mandated schedule P five game is. I don't think anyone's ever going to knock you for playing Army, and Army's good now. Um, I don't know if it'll still be good in a couple of years, but like you're not going to stole our Lambert Trophy. Yeah, <laughs> which sure, 
<laughs> it was like like I'm not going to blast the the, the people who voted the Lambert Trophy because they gave it to Army. No one's going to knock us for having Army as our last home game because no one's ever going to criticize the Army football program, and nor should they. So yeah, I think Army would be like. Uh, you know, maybe, if not perfect, like a pretty good good option. And hopefully we can lock it in. I'd be okay with Northwestern. Just because 2020 we should be good. And it's like we got our 10 wins this year. I'm not going to freak out about the difference between a 9 and 10 win season. And honestly, like, we should be in a place where we feel pretty good about our chances against Northwestern. So yeah, I, I think uh, 2020 could be, could be fun because we have the, the a good setting for it. We are probably going to open... On the road in the ACC, which I think is not the worst thing, like you said. Yeah, so I, I think we are slowly figuring the scheduling thing out, even if we're a little behind the eight ball in this 2020 game. We're a little, well, I'll, I'll get to that. Also wanted to point out, we haven't faced Army since 1996 when they beat us 42-7. to seven. No, sorry, we beat them 42-7. to seven. Okay, I was going to say, we were good in 96. That's bizarre. Well, it's just, yeah, it doesn't really make much sense. I mean, I guess, because there was they, a they period. Have, they're, pretty, they're pretty hot. I'm actually surprised they're still available for 2020 because teams will want to schedule them. So we would be the last game on their schedule. They have they have three dates open. Two of those would be buys. Um, their schedule that year actually kind of sucks. It's like I think like Air Force, Navy, or like two of like the three best games on there right now. Oh, it's not like an Notre Dame year. No, like it's like a like it's you, you can look it up after this. Like it's, it's awful. So like, they probably use a, a nice ACC. Like, like 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 Army Army schedule right now sets them up to go like eleven and one. Yeah, so maybe this works out for everybody. I mean, it, it very well could. As far as us getting ahead of things and figuring this thing out, I would think that on paper. But if you look, while we've caught up in the sense that we scheduled two years out ahead, everybody else is now five years out ahead. So now we're still oh. woefully behind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are games in like 2039 getting scheduled. So. Oh, yeah. I'm not even worried about the outliers. I'm saying like in general, like most P5s are scheduled to at least 2027. Like all the way through, and we it's, don't even yeah. You know, like we have twenty twenty one and twenty, we have twenty twenty one done. Twenty twenty is not done, and then we have two games each year from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty six. Everyone's using the dome renovation, and like that's not that's not an excuse for being this far behind when we really all the good G five schools are like gone. Yeah, see, like we're far behind, and that's a problem because you don't get to like pick the like G fives that you want. I also like. Part of me, and I know this is like very hypocritical in terms of things I've said before, part of me like understands where you want to see where your team is a bit more, and that's unrealistic because things get scheduled out so far in advance. I just wish we, and I, this isn't a new idea, I just wish we had like a scheduling czar in college football or like a hard date at which you can begin to schedule for like two or three years out. Because the fact that we have these things scheduled through 20, 30, whatever, I understand there's way more than just the two schools involved that deal with like mashups especially with the neutral site things that we're not really all that involved in and whatnot but like it's absurd that we that we're scheduling things out games where like 95 percent of the head coaches that are involved are not going to be at the school still so like as much as i appreciate especially like what george has done recently where they scheduled like every power five team on the planet recently and oklahoma scheduling up a bunch i like that we're doing a bunch of these on-campus series but the fact that we're still scheduling stuff for like 2032 is just baffling and I just wish there was, like, a rule that would, like, dictate, hey, you can start scheduling for this year now. Just because it's, like, it's it's absurd, and I don't think it benefits anybody to, like, schedule stuff out this far in advance. Like, learn where your team is and where your program is a little bit. Just, like, who's it benefiting? Yeah, I agree. We've mentioned this before. And uh, it, it still holds true now in in the fact that, yeah, that there, there's no point in scheduling a decade out. Yeah, maybe four years, and then you can say to, like, recruits, like, hey, when you're here, we are going to play in Florida, where you're from. 
I get that. Right. But, like, ten years out, we're not sending mailers to eight-year-olds. Like, it's just crazy. Anyway. With that, why don't we talk a little, little bit about beer? Just, uh, just for the hell of it. Dan, what are you been drinking? Uh, so, since we missed a week, I actually have a decent amount going on here, beer-wise. I forgot we uh, missed a week. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a, I have a crazy, like, April-May, so we will try to get these get these going as much as possible. But, yeah, so... A couple weekends ago, I had a couple things from Industrial Arts up in the Hudson Valley, one of my favorite upstate breweries, though it's closer to here upstate than, you know, a lot of the other ones. Uh, their Ranch uh, and uh, Northeastern IPA, and then, or New England IPA, and then their Tools of the Trade, uh, which is one of my favorite things they do. Um, and then I was at Innerborough in Brooklyn uh, not too long ago, uh, last Monday, I believe. I had their When the East is in the House, uh, house uh, IPA, which is a big collaboration, big collaboration with like, a bunch of other local breweries. Their Devils and the Apricots, um, which is a sour, which is done in in uh, apricot age. Uh, it's aged on apricots in barrels. It's delicious. And then the most interesting thing I had on Monday, I had their Fernet Ambassador, which is a stout, which is aged with Fernet, that really awful beer, uh, not beer, uh, liqueur from Chicago. Actually makes a pretty good stout, weirdly. It's, like, kind of minty and has, like, an interesting mouthfeel, but it doesn't have, like, the full... I haven't had actual Fernet, but what I what I understand to be, like, the actual Fernet flavor, it just, like, has, like, some, some of the, the lingering effects, and it's actually pretty interesting. And then that same day, I went up to Grimm, which is, like, a block from there, uh, one of my favorites in Brooklyn, had a couple different things. Uh, the highlight was uh, their Pina Pop, which sounds like a total stunt beer. Uh, I promise you, it is absolutely delicious. It is a Berliner Weiss sour... Uh, made with milk sugar and has like a pina colada flavor with like heavy coconut and pineapple notes. It is one of the most drinkable things I've ever had in my life. And the person I was with also got like two or three of them just because like the, we, we want to try other things and it was just so good. It also has like an interesting like dry hoppiness, but not like overly. It's just really well balanced and super delicious. And then I was at a Mets team on Sunday. So I had some of their... Really solid beer selection, as always, at City Field. Um, I don't always love Blue Point, but I had their Mosaic Session IPA, which was delicious. Great for outdoor baseball. And then I also had a Premier IPA from Innerborough and uh, Henry Hofsch from McKellar. Um, McKellar has their brewery basically on-site at City. Lots of awesome uh, New York City options that it seems to be expanding every year. You can get like you can get stuff from like six or seven different local crafts there, which is great. And it's not like crazy expensive for MLB. It's like nine, ten bucks, I think. So it's expensive, but not as insane as some places. And then I also had a hoop, uh, hoppy pills from Sloop the other day. So a lot of good stuff the last couple of weeks. Excellent week for you. And yeah, I, I would I would absolutely rubber stamp Zitty Field as the premier uh, craft beer destination if, if you're if you're into going to ballparks. It is uh, it is affordable, especially for New York. It is varied. I mean, you're going to get some good selections uh, at a place like... You're actually not going to get a great selection of Coors Field because Coors kind of like lords over that situation a little bit and even up at like it's not safeco field anymore i forgot what the hell it's called in seattle you're not gonna get you're gonna get a good selection but a lot of it at this point has been kind of overrun with like elysian uh just because they're owned by ab inbev but yeah city field is by far the most impressive meanwhile you're paying like 13 14 dollars at minimum for like a golden road which is owned by ab inbev um, out here at dodger stadium which is insane yeah, I think everything at City is, like, in the 10 to 12 range, and, like, you get, like, pints of, of craft stuff. Like I said, they have, like, I, I counted, I was only in the one area, I didn't go exploring too much of the new places, but they have, like, craft beer stands, uh, and a lot of the other places have 
at least usually four to five local crafts plus a couple other more like broad crafts quote unquote um and then obviously like your coronas your your bud lights whatnot but um yeah no it's it's i've always i'm always impressed by the ever-expanding scene there and then you have the mccaller brewery which i actually haven't been to yet i will hopefully get there next time i go to a game i just didn't have time this past uh this past weekend but it's supposed to be really cool so they've done they've done beer drinkers quite well at city um especially even and not not just to knock them because i'm not a yankee fan but like yankee stadium i think everything's like a good three dollars more and less of a craft selection so definitely uh appreciate that from my mets because they don't do everything right but this is like one thing that they did pretty well yeah it's amazing what happens when you like make beer affordable and varied and like listen to consumers it ends up people will drink and buy it pretty regularly mm-hmm. and the stadium's beautiful and the the uh, concession options are really really good for a baseball game so Overall, like the stadium experience for the Mets, if you sometimes ignore the baseball experience, quite uh, definitely a plus. Well, and it's actually filled with like good memories now, which like when it first opened, like it was just filled with bad memories. Twenty fifteen was so clutch. Yeah, they, they, yeah, like like the, 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 that that cured all all ills, and like twenty sixteen helped too. Like we're just like you had this nice bank of like, oh, that was fun, and that was here, and that was fun, and that was here, like versus when it first opened, you're like, oh god, like the the last thing closed with like. Just a thud, and this thing opened with a thud. But yeah, everything's been repaired now. Um, yeah, it's definitely started. It's it started to feel like home during that 2015 playoff push, and now I mean I've been to like, no, probably not still as many as I've been to with Shea, but probably close, just as I live here now. So it's very easy to get to a game. But yeah, it's uh, definitely starting to get that like lived-in feeling, which is nice. Agreed. A couple things I had, we can move on. I went to Hermosa Brewing, as I do every so often. Got a Get On Up West Coast IPA from them. Had a Bell's Too Hearted. I hadn't had one in a while. Uh, grabbed down in Hermosa Beach. I had picked up a bottle from the Rare Barrel a couple weeks ago when I was down in San Diego. Had there Across the Sea. It was a blonde sour ale with a coriander and sea salt. That was actually really good and refreshing. From Green Cheek down in the Anaheim area. Had a West Coast IPA is dead. Uh, it was, was a West Coast IPA, and it was super good. And I miss, as always, that I mentioned uh, West Coast IPAs. Um, was at Father's Office in Culver. Had the uh, Made West uh, Blonde that was really good. Um, and then also when I was in Culver, had the uh, Mumford River Rye IPA. That was kind of interesting. And then Modern Times, uh, who I mentioned on here a lot, they have uh, an ice pilsner um, that's just kind of like a really basic pilsner. But it's really good, really refreshing. It was a nice way to close out the night. So nothing crazy for me. But yeah, fun, uh, fun, fun couple of weeks of drinking. I'll be down in Atlanta this weekend, so I'm hoping to get some, nice. some local Atlanta stuff. Go to. And by uh, hoping, I mean I will. So <laughs> there's you no. Gotta hope. Try, you gotta try. What is it? You gotta try Creature Comforts. Mm-hmm. I've had some Creature Comforts. I've obviously had what's crewmates the 420. Uh, oh yeah, Sweetwater. Sweetwater, which is huge. Um, I'll be at the Mets Braves on Saturday, so nice. hopefully the new stadium down there, which I've not been to, has a, a decent beer slush, and I will I will report back. Nice. Very. Uh, oh, go to. Uh, oh, go to Orpheus. That's right. I've heard Orpheus is great. Yeah, a really cool tap room. They actually like gave me like a bottle from the back room because I was like just visiting, and they were like, "Oh, you're not gonna be here for the bottle sale here," and like just like sold me one. Yeah, I'm like, down there for a bachelor party, so I think there might be room for like a brewery trip or two since we have a pretty open schedule aside from the game on Saturday. So score. Yeah, definitely, definitely try to go there if you can. Great open tap room and nice. great beers. So I guess we'll close out with some basketball. Actually. We'll close out with another word from sponsor and then some basketball talk. 
I know, Dan, you saw this. Everybody else saw this. Uh, Jim Beheim says he's not retiring, and that's not surprising. And he also has no plans to retire. And I, I find it hard to believe that, 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 that this part of the conversation with Mike Waters uh, was not delivered through clenched teeth. But, yeah, Jim was pretty emphatic that he's not going anywhere. There's no plans for him to retire. There's no truth to the rumor that he's going to leave when Buddy leaves. I also think that you know part of that's like, Kind of defending against what happened last time when there was a timeline about when he was leaving, which he which he maintains that he yeah. was going to live up to. Which I know I a lot do of not buy into that for a second. I think that's a fair thing to, to believe. Um, it is interesting that well, I guess he kind of has to say it because otherwise it sounds right. like he pushed Hopkins out. Well, yeah. although he can throw, but like it wasn't Wild Hacks' idea, so he can throw uh, what's his face under the bus if he wants to. Yeah, no, I thought it was very interesting. I thought he Bayham really showed his hand by mentioning mentioning like the recruiting angle like that i thought that was pretty clearly like what the main concern here was he also he also pointed out like i mean classic Bayheim also threw a little dig in there where he was like yeah all the guys who use it in recruiting against me are gone <laughs> which 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 goes to show a lot about Jim. I've out, and, like i've outlasted all of my rivals yeah. <laughs> granted like goes to show that like you know, Kay and, and, and Roy can beat him without using that, and so can Calipari, apparently, like, w- without using that against him, because they're all still where they were. Is um, one of them Patino? Because that would be fun. You know, though, like... They're, yeah, too, like, they're very close. They, but... I, know, I know they're very close, because I know, like, I remember he showed up, like, right after the Petuitos incident. He showed up on campus last fall, and, like, yeah, I wouldn't put it past Jim to, like, be fine with Rick being around, but also, like, like covertly run Rick over as he did here. That'd be great. I, yeah, I, I I might write an article about like who these other who these other coaches were and like look back at some of the top recruits that we were like after, and, and yeah, and, and just take a take a glance at, at who those coaches might be. Well, he did mention Buzz. I don't know if that like means it wasn't Buzz or it was Buzz. I feel like we really weren't. Up, I mean, I guess we kind of were up against Virginia. I don't Tech. I don't remember really recruiting against Virginia Tech ever. Yeah, we we have. I mean, I guess we could potentially in like for like DMV kids, but I feel like we haven't had like a big DMV recruit in a while, right? Not that I remember. Frank Howard. Oh yeah, Frank. But a lot of those guys were before Buzz got there, so true. We're probably missing someone obvious, but but yeah, he did. uh, He did. Well, he didn't mention the word endgame. Mike used it. I I almost think he used (laughs) it for SEO purposes. I hope. I hope Mike used it for SEO purposes. Because Mike seemed to lean right into it, and we mentioned it on Twitter. Because for those who missed, we uh, we, we put Jim Beheim's face on every uh, member of the Avengers in the movie poster for Avengers Endgame. For those who haven't been paying attention to the internet for months at this point, years, 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 perhaps, because um, it was rumored even before it was made official. I felt the most interesting part of this was actually something that like we were talking about in Slack, and we usually talk about in Slack, is we're pretty frank about things, and we're we're far from homers, but we. We do love the team. Um, where Brent Dax had his tweet thread talking about like kind of what what he felt needed to happen behind the scenes in order for like Jim's comments to really like be fine. And, and a lot of it was just about, you know, A, like Jerry and Autry could be the answer, but they can't be the number one options. And, and I felt like, I like that he said that because I feel like it's something a lot of people won't say. I know we've said it. I feel like a lot of people aren't saying that, uh, the cover of the team, and Jim Beheim's definitely not going to say that. I, I feel like 
him saying that there needs to be some sort of strategy in the background. There needs to be some sort of like short list every year that evolves uh, year over year if Jim decides to like hang it up. I've long maintained that I think if Jim can win a championship, that he'll literally call it quits at the postgame presser and just like walk off and that's it. So kind of John Wildhack or, or whoever is, is inhabiting his office, which I think will be John Wildhack when, when Jim Beheim retires. I think he has to kind of be ready to go. But um, again, at the good stuff from Brent expressing an opinion that you know should seem like common sense but maybe not entirely popular for people that don't really want to consider what happens when Jim goes I think it's just like the fact that we've been so in the family as of late and the fact that Hopkins spent a long period of time as the head coach in waiting has kind of like spooked people into what may happen in a non-Hopkins post-Bayhem universe but like Wildhack, while he's a Syracuse guy and was obviously like thinking about Syracuse all the time before he got the job, like he sh- he's not beholden to what the what any former plan was, and he's not beholden to what Beheim wants. Like Beheim, I think deserves to go out on his own own accord, but once he does, um, unless Autry or GMAC is like a legitimately qualified candidate to take over this kind of program and the kind of program that we uh, want to be, he you know, he deserves to, to make his hire, and I hope he does. I do agree that Wildhack will probably be here. I think if he had higher ambitions or different ambitions, he probably could be, he would at least, like, been in the shop for the, for the to lead up ESPN um, when Skipper was out, and I know that was, like, a quick thing, but, like, he was, uh, you know, real high up there, so the fact that he took the Syracuse job at all, I think, makes it obvious he wanted this job, so I expect him fully to be here, and that's a huge legacy builder, and like, if we know anything about athletic directors, uh, even Wildhack, who I'm a, a big fan of with what he's done so far, it's a, it's all about, like, making big hires and cementing your legacy at a place, and and being the guy to figure out Bayheim's replacement is a huge opportunity. He didn't really get it with football, although I think he's kind of, like, I think he and Davis are so far on the same page that it, it kind of works out well, but, like, this is going to determine how John, John Wildhack is viewed as Syracuse AD, and I think he is... He's, you know, very deserving of making that making that uh that move himself. Now, I think Beheim will get like you know some say, and if he thinks that like this guy would be a good fit, this guy wouldn't. I think he'll probably be consulted on it. But I do think it's uh you know at the end of the day, I do think he deserves uh, to to decide when he goes. I still wouldn't be surprised if it's when Buddy graduates. I think he just doesn't want to give a hard timetable now because there's no real reason. There's no one waiting in the wings and. You know, he said it like the recruiting thing is, is real. People were using it, whether or not it was effective. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all that, actually. Um, no surprise. You and I do uh, share a lot of opinions on things. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, I mentioned this in the newsletter. For those who don't follow our uh, weekly email newsletter, you can subscribe um, right on the blog's front page. I did mention in that, uh, in that letter I sent out that, you know, there's been so much change over the last five to seven years for Syracuse, and, and really, like, the next five to seven are going to be enormous, uh, maybe even, you know, more so than the past five to seven were, and John Wildhack is going to shape a lot of that, you know, hiring, you know, either retaining Dino Babers or replacing Dino Babers, finding the replacement for Jim Beheim, obviously managing the Carrier Dome renovations, uh, what looks like a potential, you know, big rebrand opportunity for Syracuse come 2019 or 2020, like, there's a lot here and, and you know obviously like you know daryl gross really did help investment in olympic sports but you know what we've been able to do since you know obviously wild hack deserves a decent amount of credit for having things continue as they were i i, I think that 
you know, his legacy could really be cemented in the next five years, uh, and then anything else that happens after that, you know, just becomes gravy. Uh, but I, I, I'm excited to have him at the helm because as much as you and I have fought against the, like, you know, needs to be a Syracuse guy notion, I feel like the fact that he is a Syracuse guy, even if it wasn't a necessary trait, gives him a very, very unique um, perspective here that, that, that only stands to help us and has helped us so far. We should also probably mention that Brent, uh, Brent Atz had a really good thread, which touched all the things we just brought up. Um, on Twitter about this article after after uh, Waters put it up, so that's worth a worth a look if you're on Twitter, or if you're not on Twitter, you can still find it. Yeah, it's it, it's searchable. It's there. Uh, you can just go to Twitter.com/slash Media, and it's there. And for I think you. I think the fact that Brent shares a lot of our same opinions makes me feel better about it because, like, Brent's a Syracuse guy through and through. He, like, for lack of a better word, Brent's a townie. So, like. Brent could very easily be banging the drum for like, oh, we need to make sure Jerry's ready to go in, in four years. But he is very much on the on like, you know, if one of those guys is ready in, and, and ought to change. But like the Hopkins situation was so unique because he had been here for so long before he got the like initial like pseudo uh, whenever that was made. The, when, when did we first meet him? 15? I think it was I even before that. I think it, it might have been like less official. Right. But um, – Either way, like Hopkins was like an ace recruiter, had been here for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, well, longer you know, than most successful and good assistants usually are. Right. Like he would. He had more than paid his dues. Right. And if in the next couple of years, like Autry starts like killing it on the recruiting trail and seems to be like you know getting closer on the X's and O's to like where Hop was as the lead assistant, like then I'm all for it. It's just it doesn't seem from the outside. Like, uh, he's there yet, and I feel like we'd hear more, probably not directly from Beheim, but I feel like we'd get more hints at it. And it doesn't seem like, like that's there. So hopefully hopefully we, uh, we do whatever's best for the program and don't worry about, like, having to keep things in-house because, like, that's not how most programs do it. And for as cool as it is to be led by, uh, you know, a long-term guy at your school, an alum, uh, alumnus, uh, and the Bayheim experience has been a fun one. Like, look at USC, look at UCLA, look at all these schools that, like, get caught, get in trouble because they try to do this thing. Um, that doesn't make it, like, the wrong move all the time. It's just it can't be, like, the only direction. Yep, completely agree. I know I said in the comments today, I was just saying, you know, like, the coaching waiting thing doesn't really work. Not because it did, not because it, it, it's a bad idea, but because it's impossible for it to work um, unless you have a timeline. And if you have a timeline, then people are going to recruit against that timeline. So I, I think that, you know, if Hopkins ends up coming back, I think we'll all be better off for it. If he doesn't, I think we have our, 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 our list of options. Uh, I don't want to expand it past there because I feel like we have talked about this a little bit in, in past weeks and on the blog. But in any case, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Dan, anywhere else you'd like to go here? Or you feel like we're good? No, just uh, looking forward to a couple of less stressful months here. Um, looking forward <laughs> to the end of the cross season. I know we haven't talked about it a ton on here. We're pretty good. I think we're better than most people expected um, coming into the season. I know we just beat Cornell pretty handily, which even when Cornell's not great, I feel like they always play a super tough. Yeah. We beat them 13-8 to yesterday. So, yeah, get going on lacrosse, everyone, both men's and women's. Um, we are very competitive and uh, should be a fun path towards the NCAA tournaments. Agreed, agreed. We'll get into that more on the blog and maybe even on here. We'll potentially have Chris on. Who knows? Anyway... That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, I guess, on any other service you might listen to us on, and go Orange. Go Orange.